We do appreciate the presence of everyone today. Uh, it's a holiday weekend, of course. We have uh, some of our folks absent today, away uh, traveling, and, uh, but we have some with us today who are traveling or visiting our area. We're really glad you're here. We appreciate people taking the time when they're away from home, when they're on vacation or something like that, taking the time to worship on the Lord's Day. That's a good practice to be in for, for all of us. When we're away from home on the Lord's Day, take some time to meet together with God's people for worship. I'll invite you to turn to John chapter 3 today. We began talking about uh, Jesus' encounter with uh, Nicodemus last week, and we're going to continue that today. Uh, the second chapter of John uh, ends by saying that Christ did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so Jesus didn't need people to tell him what this one was like, or what his personality was like, or what it was in his heart. Jesus already knew those things. And so when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, Jesus already knows about Nicodemus. He knows what Nicodemus needs. He knows what is in Nicodemus's heart. And so he's able to address that very effectively. Here's some things that we talked about last week. We'll just go over these very quickly. Uh, John, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to him, we, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one can do what you're able to do. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says, truly, I truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, uh, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds by saying, how can a man be born when he's old? He, he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of, of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is the spirit. And do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. So there's really the, probably the most well-known passage that, that addresses this idea of being born again. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus by night. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus is a, a Pharisee, a ruler, a, a, the, the teacher of Israel. And so he's not an ordinary uh, run-of-the-mill Pharisee. He's a leader among the Pharisees. He's a prominent teacher among the Pharisees. And so he's teaching Pharisaic Judaism. He's steeped in Pharisaic Judaism, and he's teaching that to others. When I refer to Pharisaic Judaism, you know what I'm referring to? Uh, those who practice all the traditions that have accumulated through the years and uh, a, a great deal of emphasis being placed on keeping those traditions in addition to the Scripture, in addition to the Word of God. And in fact, where the two of them conflict often in Pharisaic Judaism, it's the tradition that takes precedence over what Scripture says. And so Matthew chapter 15, Jesus addresses some of those problems. And so Nicodemus is deeply involved in the sort of cold, formalistic, ritualistic, traditional, tradition-keeping form of Judaism. But he's a seeker. He's inquisitive. He wants to know more about Jesus. And so he comes to him, no doubt, with questions on his mind, with things that he wants to talk to Jesus about. But Jesus cuts right to the heart of the issue, exactly what Nicodemus 
himself needs. Remember, Jesus knows what's in the heart of men. And so Jesus cuts right to the quick and says, Nicodemus, I'm telling you what you need is to be born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? You need to go through, experience a change so complete, so thorough, that it's like starting all over again. (laughs) That's what it means to be born again. And so Jesus tells him he needs to be born again. The idea of being born again is found in other places in the New Testament. This is probably the most well-known place where we read about that idea. But it's also found in 1 John several times. We're going to look at some of those more today. Peter talks about being born again through the Word of God in 1 Peter chapter 1. And James talks about being begotten by the Word of God, being begotten anew by the Word of God in James chapter 1. And so, this may be the most well-known passage, but Peter talks about it, James talks about it, and even though Paul doesn't use that specific language, he talks about similar ideas. Paul talks more about being adopted into the family of God, but he talks about becoming a new creature in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And he talks about beginning to lead a new kind of life. When a person is baptized, he, he, he rises up to walk in newness of life. And so those are very similar ideas. A new creature beginning a new life taking off the old man, putting on the new, very similar ideas to being born again, although maybe using different kinds of terminology. Uh, The phrase really is a figure of speech, isn't it? And Jesus brings that out in John chapter 3. Remember Nicodemus asked, can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? Well, of course not. Jesus isn't talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. Again, Uh, beginning all over again, starting anew, an experience, a change so complete and so thorough and so dramatic that it's almost like a person has started a, a brand new life. He's born again. Now this particular new birth is not of the flesh, and it's not like new beginnings that we might experience in our life in one way or another. This is to be born of God. This is produced by the Spirit, born of water and the Spirit. It's also brought about by the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, that we are begotten again by the Word of God. And there's water involved as well. And so we're born of God. We're born again by the Spirit, by the Word of God. And there's water involved as well, born of water and the Spirit. And so, we might ask, how is a person born again? Well, you can read and read and read all kinds of books and commentary and articles and information you want. But I think there's a simple answer to it. If a person genuinely becomes a Christian, he or she will be born again. It'll it'll take care of itself, won't it? And so, if a person genuinely becomes a Christian... A person might go through the formality and might go through the ritual and and not really genuinely become a Christian. But if a person genuinely becomes a Christian, he or she will be born again. 
And we offered a couple of test cases. You remember that? In Acts chapter 2, have 3,000 become Christians on that day. Were they born again? Well, well yeah, they, they were born again. Well, what did they do? Well, Peter preached to them about the resurrection of Jesus. He calls on them to believe it, and so he's preaching the Word to them. Remember, the apostles are inspired by the Spirit. He preaches the Word to them. They hear the Word and receive it. They're moved emotionally by it. They're cut to the heart. They call out, what do we need to do? And Peter tells them, repent. You've got to change your life. You've got to change from being an opponent of Jesus, responsible for His crucifixion, to an adherent and a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And so you've got to go through a new beginning, putting off the old and putting on the new. And so you need to repent and you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 on that day did. You see, they, they began all over again. They, they underwent a change so complete and so thorough that it's as if they started their whole spiritual life anew. And this new beginning was brought about by the Spirit as the apostles preached the gospel to them. And they received it and they changed their life in repentance and were baptized in the name of Christ. And so if a person genuinely becomes a Christian, doing the same things that we find these people on the day of Pentecost doing, they, they will be born again, won't they? Yep, yeah, they will. Well, that brings us, you know, that's what we talked about last week. The temptation for the preacher is just to preach that again. <laughs> We're going to try to spare you that. Well, we'll advance this a little bit and talk about what happens when a person is born again. What, what, what happens in his life? What happens in her life? And we're just going to talk about a few things in the time we've got left. First of all, when a person is born again, he has a new father. And so he puts his old father behind, separates himself from his old father, and he begins life again with a new father. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Now, 1 John talks about being born of God on several occasions. And said a moment ago, we're going to look at some of those in our discussion this morning. Well, here's one of them. He says in verse 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are, for this reason the world doesn't know us, because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It's not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears we'll be like Him because we'll see Him just as He is. And so, and so now we are children of God. We've been born again. We have a new Father. And we're children of God. You know, John also tells us in John chapter, uh, John chapter 8 that... Or let's look at First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 8, first of all where he says, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And so the one who practices sin, he has a father. He's of the devil. Remember in John chapter 8, as Jesus is discussing matters with uh, those who are uh, opposing him, he tells them, now you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Anyone who practices sin, and I, when he says here, the one who practices sin, he doesn't mean the, the person who might occasionally stumble or occasionally sin. Here's a person who's persisting in sin. He's practicing sin. 
He is of his father, the devil. Now, now he has a father. His father is the devil. But when he is born of God, he has a new father. And that father, of course, is God. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and in verse 17, he says, Come out from their midst, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I'll welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Let's think about our physical families, our earthly families. Everyone has a father. Now, not all fathers are what they ought to be. I was looking at a few statistics. 25% of children in America live in homes where there is no father. There, there's, there's no biological father. There's no stepfather. There's no adoptive father. 25, one in four children in America live in a home without a father. Now, they've been fathered, of course, but, but they don't have an effective father. They don't, they don't have a father who's engaged with them. And some fathers are, are like that. They're neglectful. Some of them are abusive, physically abusive, or verbally abusive, or emotionally abusive. They're distant. They may be living in the home, but there's no connection with the children, no involvement with the children. And of course, those children suffer, don't they? That, that, that doesn't have a good effect on a child. There are some very serious consequences to that. But when a father is attentive, when he provides for the children's needs, when he's supportive and encouraging. In other words, when a father is loving toward his children, then the children thrive. Now, you know, when we're practicing sin, we have a father. He's abusive, <laughs> you know. He abuses us spiritually. He doesn't want to see us succeed. He wants to see us ruined. He doesn't help us to thrive. He holds us back. He's harsh, uh, and uh, he, he's, he's harmful to us. That's, that's the devil. But when we are born again, we have a new father, a loving father, who wants to see us thrive, who supports us, who's engaged with us, who's helping us, who's for us. And under those conditions, a child can do well. Our Heavenly Father is a loving father. Here are some things that our new father does for us. He provides for our needs. Our heavenly father provides for our needs. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this very thing. He tells us uh, in uh, verse 25, don't be worried about your, what your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who by your being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? 
the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Father is going to take, your Father is going to provide for you. Just like a loving physical father will provide for the needs of his children, so a loving heavenly father will provide for the needs of his children as well. In the 34th Psalm, verses 8 through 10, the children of God lack no good thing. <laughs> How many of us are lacking when it comes to food to eat? How many of us are lacking when it comes to clothes to wear? How many of us are lacking when it comes to the ability to get in out of the cold and the rain? We have a place to go. The Father has provided all of these things for us as a loving Father would. But more than that, our Heavenly Father provides for our spiritual needs as well. Look at Romans chapter 8 in regard to this. Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin reading in about verse 31. Romans 8, verse 31. Paul says, What shall we say to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's talking about spiritual things in this passage, I think. He gave us His Son. He will give us all spiritual things that we need. We will not lack for any spiritual need. Just think about the things that we have access to. He gave us His Son. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That's what this passage says in Romans chapter 8. He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. He gave us His Son. We have access to His blood. We have His example to follow, so that we might follow in His steps. We have the Word of God. I venture to say that although there are people in the world who don't have a Bible, most of us have multiple copies of the Bible in our home. You know, you know, you know Paul, uh, Peter talks about those who rest the Scriptures. In that passage, W-R-E-S-T. Our problem is not that so much as resting the Scriptures, R-E-S-T-I-N-G. Our Bibles sit on our shelves and, and we don't use them, you know. We have multiple copies. We have access to the Word. Many people don't have that. We do have that. We have opportunities to be built up. Lots of opportunities to be built up spiritually. Like this one we're engaged in today. And we have access to His grace. So just think about that. He has given us His Son. We have His blood. We have His example. We have access to the Word of God. We have opportunity to be built up by our brethren. We stand in the grace of God. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That comes from our Father. You see, He's providing for us. He's a loving Father. Here's another thing He does. He protects us. We are in His hand. That's the idea in John chapter 10. Jesus talks about the sheep, his sheep, hearing his voice and following him. He says in verse 28, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so we are in his hands and no one is able to, no outside force, no person outside will be able to snatch us out of that hand. 
as long as we hear His voice and follow Him. In fact, that's similar to what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? And he goes on to say, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He mentions several possibilities there. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. See, the Lord is guarding us. The Lord is protecting us. So we pray, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, now we can rebel and we can, we can insist on going outside of the protection of God, but as long as we're listening to the voice of the shepherd and following his word, his voice, we have the protection of the shepherd. And so the Father provides for us. The Father protects us. What loving Father will not protect His children? <laughs> Our Father provides for us, protects us. And then the third thing I'll mention is that He invites us to express ourselves to Him. What loving Father doesn't say to His children, if you need something, just ask me. If you need some help, just ask me. If you need some resource, just ask me. I'll do whatever I can do to help you. Every loving father is going to say that to his children. Just ask me. So all you have to do is just, just ask. Well, our Heavenly Father invites us to ask Him as well. You know, where, whereas uh, physical fathers and earthly fathers, we're limited in what we're able to do. We might be able to help some to some degree, but not in every way. When my children got up to about the fifth grade, I was lost when it came to math. You know? <laughs> Couldn't help them very much. But you know, we have a spiritual father who has unlimited power, unlimited resources to help his, his children meet their spiritual needs, especially. And so, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, well, give him a stone. Dad, I'm hungry. Do we have anything to eat? Well, here, here's a rock. Let's chew on that for a while. <laughs> what loving father is going to respond in that way? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give what's good to those who ask him? Just ask. Just ask me. Philippians chapter 4, you'll remember that passage. Don't be anxious for anything, uh, but be thankful for everything. And uh, with supplication, uh, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just ask. That's a loving Father. He, so He provides, He protects, He invites us to ask Him for what we need. So we have a new Father, a Father that loves us. He's engaged with us. He's concerned about us. You know, when a child is like that, when you have a small child and he grows up and uh, he realizes that his father loves him, his father's going to provide for him, his father's going to protect him, and all he has to do is go to his father and ask, you know what that, that, that child's sleep is like? Oh, he just lays his head on his pillow at night and goes to sleep. He doesn't have any worries, doesn't have any concerns at all. Well, we have a heavenly father who's like that, e even beyond what our physical fathers are able to do. So we rest well, don't we? We rest well. I've, I've mentioned to you before, I know my sister asked my mother one time, you know, how, how do you do it? 
I know things in your life are not always easy. You have problems, you have issues that come up, and, and how, how do you do it? And my mother said, well, you just pray about it, turn over and go to sleep. You know, that was her, that was her response. There, there's a trusting child, isn't it? Understanding that she has a father who is able. Just pray about it and roll over and go to sleep. I have to say, easier said than done for most of us. Well, a person who's born again has a new family as well. New father and a new family. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus speaks of his disciples as his family. It's on this occasion that the family of Jesus, his mother and his brothers, come to the house where Jesus is. They're standing outside. They want to speak to him. And someone says, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Jesus, your mother and your brothers are out here. They want to talk to you. Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he's my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' disciples are, are the family. It's not that we completely separate ourselves and divorce ourselves from our physical families. Of course, in fact, being a disciple of Jesus is going to make us a better family member. <laughs> but, but really, we have a new family now, a spiritual family. Sometimes when a person becomes a Christian, I've known of an occasion or two like this, his physical family opposes him. Sometimes they cut him off completely. If you become a Christian, don't come back home, is the message that uh, is, is communicated. And when that happens, God's family takes the place of the family who rejects him. It's not for no reason that we're called brothers and sisters in the New Testament. Remember, Peter refers to our beloved brother Paul. Now, not just a, a formal title, uh, but we have a, this relationship, this, this close, uh, tender relationship of being members of the same family. Our beloved brother Paul. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, Phoebe is, is described as a sister. Now think about the Apostle Paul in connection with this. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about Paul's family. We know they were conscientious Jews, and so Paul was raised by conscientious parents. He describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees even. And so we know his family were conscientious, and, and, and Saul of Tarsus was raised up in a a family context like that. Uh, we know he has some relatives in Jerusalem. But we don't know exactly what happened in the family when Saul becomes a Christian. Well, we, we're really not told about that, whether uh, they accepted that very well or whether they rejected that or became angry or cut him off or exactly what. But, but I do know this. In Romans chapter 16, right at the end of that book, when Paul is addressing a number of people, he says in verse 13, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And so the mother of Rufus had a relationship with Paul that kind of, kind of, filled, that, uh, kind of filled that place in his life. His mother, and you know, I think of her as my own mother, is uh, what I understand him to be saying. You see, now Saul of Tarsus, if his family cut him off, and I'm not saying that they did, but, but he's got a new family now. He, he has a new mother now. He has new brothers now. He has new children. Paul refers to those that he converted 
as his children. Timothy is my true child in the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, other Christians are his brothers and sisters. And so, just like Jesus said, the one who does the will of the Father, this is my mother and my brothers and my sisters, that this is my family now. Now, Jesus doesn't cut off his family. Still has something to do. Remember, at the cross, he's concerned about his mother. There's a new family now. His brothers and sisters who do the will of God. We've been studying on Sunday mornings here in the auditorium about the church. And uh, Simon reminds us at just about the beginning of every class that the church is the household of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so that means the family of God. We, we are God's family here in this place. We are brothers and sisters. We're all children of the same Father. And we ought to, as brothers and sisters ought to do, we, we ought to love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, we might argue sometimes what brothers and sisters don't go through life without arguing. <laughs> and so there may be times where we disagree, maybe we even argue. But we support each other. We care for each other. We supply each other with physical needs if needed, emotional needs and spiritual needs. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Support each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Supply each other. That's, that's our responsibility to each other as a family. And so when we are born again, we have a new family. We may have different physical appearances. We may speak differently. We may have different kinds of jobs. But what do we have in common? We have the same love for one another. Now Peter brings that out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren... Firmly love one another from the heart, for you've been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. You've been born again through the Word of God. So love each other. We're to love each other. Thirdly, when we are born again, we begin to live a new kind of life. Now look at a few passages from 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29 says, uh, if you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. See that connection? The one who is born of Him practices, not sin, practices righteousness. Chapter 3 and verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. And so he practices not sin, but righteousness. Why? Because the seed, God's seed is in him. We might think of it like this. He's got God's genes in him, you know. Sometimes you see a father and his offspring. The father's genes are in the offspring, and they're so much like him. If, if, if you didn't know already, it'd be easy to, to see. The offspring is like the father. Why? Because the father's seed is in the offspring. And so the Father's seed is in us. We've been born of God, and so we are to be like God. 
We are to practice righteousness. Why? Because God is righteous. We're to walk in the light. Why? Because God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Most children want to please their father. That's sort of just a natural instinct almost. I want to please my father. Well, well, we have a heavenly father, and we want to please our father. We want to do what's pleasing to him. Paul says we make it our ambition to do what's pleasing to him. And so we live pure and holy and righteous lives because our Father is pure and holy and righteous, and we want to please Him. In Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. <laughs> Imitate God as beloved children. And so we have a new lifestyle. We put, put away the sin that's, that's characteristic of our old lifestyle, the, the, the speech of the old life, the you know, the immorality of the old life, all those things are of the world. They're not of the Father. They're of the world, the lust and the pride and all of that. Put that away. It's not consistent with our new Father's character. We don't want to imitate Him. And so we're not of the world. We're, we're of the Father. And so we live a different kind of lifestyle. Now, for some people, that requires a rather drastic change. And it may bring opposition it may bring opposition from those we leave behind. We've got a new father. We've got a new family. We're living a new lifestyle. Now, people in our old lifestyle, they may not like that. And they may oppose us. They may ridicule us. They may have contempt for us. But when our father welcomes us home, we'll be glad for the choices we made. And then one other point. A person who's born again has a new inheritance. Parents, sometimes, if they're able to, they'll, they'll lay up something for their children, an inheritance. Our Father has laid up something for us as well. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 4, that we obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so the Father has laid up something for us. He's reserved something for us, something that's imperishable and undefiled and that will not fade away. Paul says that we're heirs of God, Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. So, and so we're heirs. He's laid up something for us. We're going to inherit that. We are heirs of God. We're going to inherit what He's reserved for us. And we do that by keeping God's Word. I'll direct your attention to Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those that are sanctified. I commend you to the Word, which is able to give you the inheritance that's been laid up for those who are sanctified. In the book of Revelation, we've studied the book of Revelation recently. Revelation 21 and verse 7, John says, He who overcomes will inherit these things. Well, what things are those? Well, the things he's been talking about. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's part of the inheritance that we'll receive if we persevere. Chapter 22, there will no longer be any curse, 
The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve Him, and they will see His face. Their names will be on their forehead. That's part of the inheritance. And so we, we have a new inheritance. Whereas our physical parents might have laid up something for us, maybe not, <laughs> our new father has laid up a new inheritance for us. And so we keep His Word, and that brings us to the point where we inherit what He's reserved for us. Think about these things. If you're born again, you have a new father, a father who loves you, is going to provide for you and protect you, who invites you to ask him, just ask me what you need and I'll, I'll provide it. We have a new family. Now our old family, when we're born again, they might ostracize us, but we have a new family. We have new brothers and sisters that love us and support us and encourage us. I got to live a new kind of life. It comes with being born again. A person that's born of God doesn't sin. He has God's seed in him. And so that's inconsistent with living an ungodly life. And so, yeah, we've got to live a new lifestyle. We need to devote ourselves to that. But at the end of it all, we have a, a new inheritance to look forward to. And as I said earlier, there's a price to be paid for being born again. But when our Father welcomes us home, when our Father welcomes us home into that inheritance, we'll be glad of the choices that we made. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you love us, that you care for us. Even though, Father, we've turned away from you and gone after our own way, and we've become involved in, in sin and transgression, and that's created a problem uh, for us with you, and because you can't continue to fellowship those who become involved in sin. But because of your love for us, you gave us your Son. He atoned for our sins, and through Him we might be restored to fellowship with you. Father, we pray that if there are those here today who have never been born again, they've never genuinely become Christians, they'll consider doing that today, understanding the cost that's involved. And for those of us, Father, who have been born again, help us to examine our lives. Help us to see if we're living as children of God. Our Father, we are so thankful that we can call upon you as our Father, that, you'll, that you care about us and love us, that you'll provide for our needs. We're thankful for the spiritual family that we have that encourages us and supports us, especially in times of need. And Father, we live every day in hope of inheriting that inheritance that you've laid up for us in heaven, imperishable, undefiled, that will never fade away. Help us, Father, to live in a way, in, according, in accordance with your word, that brings us to that place. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, who died for us. Amen. We're uh, people of